Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. Unfortunately, tonight we're going to have lots of interruptions. There's just no getting away from it. Um, I am on a different work schedule, so and I do this uh, during the quiet times at my work. So unfortunately, because of the change in times, I am dealing with a lot of interruptions. So uh, please excuse the... Uh, disjointed uh, uh, presentation of this. I have tried to do several <laughs> several uh, podcasts and it has just been so disjointed and so messed up that I just can't even submit it because it's just not good. But I wanted to try again because it's been a little time since I've gotten a podcast to you guys and I think it's really important for me to get regular podcasts to you guys so that I can both keep the the audience coming back for more but also because you know what we got to get through this <laughs> this uh, course and and uh, I know a lot of you guys are excited to hear what comes next and and uh, I sometimes submit these core or these uh, podcasts at uh, three three o'clock in the morning and by six o'clock I already have 15 listens to it so <laughs> I really appreciate you guys and and uh, love hearing from you guys if you guys want to contact me you can contact me at fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com uh, also um, if you are um, having any questions or any uh, inputs on what you'd like to hear on the podcast please drop me a line I'd love to hear it. We're going to be dealing with uh, Delta One, D1, maintaining hive equipment again. <laughs> and uh, But we're going to be getting into a little bit more of the theory behind why we do what we do with some of these boxes and some of these things. Um, uh, hopefully I'll be giving you some uh, important information and, and ideas on how to manage your beehive. and uh, and. Uh, for those people who are old beekeepers just listening because, gee, it's fun to hear another beekeeper talk, um, maybe we can uh, pick up some new stuff, some new tips, and uh, enjoy the heck out of it. So hang on. Again, this is the Beekeeper Prediction Technician course. You're not going to be receiving any certificates at the end of this. This is for your own enjoyment and learning purposes. And uh, I, I do give these courses on the side as well. Um, if I have some interest, uh, usually three or four people, I'll, I'll go through the whole entire course uh, in, in a physical form, bring in all my stuff and play show and tell. But unfortunately here on the web, we're, <laughs> there's no show and tell uh, for podcasts, only tell. So we're going to be working on um, key points of component performance given that boxes and super brood chambers comprise a large portion of a beekeeper's investment there they are in constant use discuss the boxes that are used for supers and brood chambers <laughs> all right so um <clears throat> i think before we go into that we're going to have to talk about storage of equipment that is not being used or storage of equipment that um is waiting to be used uh, during the season so uh, a lot of beekeepers will um, in their bee shack will put um, one by twos up and the one by twos are, are spaced apart so that the ears of the frames sit on the one by twos and they will have 
Um, several courses of these one by twos up and are like down one wall and they will go up and they will put these um, uh, one by twos and space them out so that they can fit uh, above the one by two they can fit a whole frame in and then drop it down so there's a, there's a significant space there between um, the last frame and the next one by two below it so that they can just slide it in drop it in and have it all there um, and that way you can keep a thousand or so frames in one area um, throw up a piece of plastic in front of it and you're going to want to um, put some sort of wax moth preparation there so that you can keep the wax moss out of your drawn wax because drawn wax is like gold it's money um, um, as we always say it's a six to one ratio six uh, bits of honey to one bit of uh, wax so it, it's it's quite expensive to to maintain over and over again um, so putting in uh, the cedar balls in the um, in a closed container kind of sort of keeps the wax moths out. Putting in crystal meant for um, it's a it's a crystallized uh, form and it it off gases and the crystals eventually disappear. Um, you can put uh, several paper towels on top of the frames and pour a bunch of the crystal on top. Um, unfortunately, I don't know the brand name or type. Hang on here a second. They're called Paramoth and it is an insecticide. And when we're dealing with insecticides, you also have to think about this is the thing that you're putting into your hive and you're having baby bees growing out of this wax. So do you want to be putting this insecticide in there? I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up. The insecticide supposedly off-gasses, and then after, you know, six months or so, it's, it's no longer there. Um, I can't help but think that it embeds itself in the wax, and I don't know. The uh, granola in me says don't do it <laughs> because it's chemicals in the hive but you also have to realize that you're trying to uh, keep the, the wax good for um, um, the next year's uh, hives. So it's a difficult thing to think about and you, you really need to uh, do your research on these moth crystals and decide whether or not you want to have them in. Um, when you're looking through your, your wax um, for infestation of wax moth, uh, larva what you're looking for is little it kind of looks like spider webs and destruction of the of the wax cells so you'll see a bunch of wax cells that are kind of like the sides are broken out and then there's a little bit of um, um, I, I don't know what you would call it like like spider web on the top of it it's uh, the the wax moth larva spins some some spider web on the top to kind of protect itself from uh, predators that would be eating it. Um, I know some people who put their wax outside on the um, south side of a building uh, so and out in the open so that the birds can take care of any moths or anything and they space their their wax out so that the um, birds and, and other 
predator insects can get in there and take care of these wax moths. Um, I also, for, for myself, what I do is I have a bunch of older um, long langstroths, and so they're, they're made as deep langstroth size, and I put both deep and, and medium frames in there because you always end up with a, a mixture even though I've decided that I've wanted to go to medium frames only when you go and pick up uh, um, um, nukes and when you go and pick up other things and and it's equipment that they're selling to you you end up with stuff that you're not really wanting but you end up holding on to because well you're cheap and that's just the way it goes <laughs> and so uh, um, it's good to have, um, if you're storing it in uh, a long Langstroth, it's great. It's uh, essentially three boxes long with a lid on it, and it's airtight. And uh, when you put it in there, you can throw in some... You throw in some cedar balls and uh, hopefully that keeps the majority of any wax moths away. And you know you haven't poisoned your your wax or anything and it it appeals to the the inner granola person i have <laughs> the inner hippie i guess would be um the other thing is um i i you know i have been focusing uh, on making um queens queen cells and so i feel that having um uh, wax that's not that's newer wax that doesn't have pesticides in it is better for making better queens so that's what I've been doing and I have I have about six um, six long langstroths that I, I use and I just throw my uh, extra stuff in there and then when the next springtime comes I pop it open inspect all my wax and then chuck them into a box and away we go um, so there there's a variety of different ways that you can store your 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 wax both inside and outside and, and um, it's up to the beekeeper to decide which way is better for everyone it says here that they want us to talk about the type of boxes that we're going to be using. Um, when you buy the uh, boxes from the store, um, if you buy them already assembled, uh, they have, you know, they have their their finger lock corners, or and and um, if you're if you're making them making jigs so that you can have the the finger locks lock into each other not have any spaces in them and uh, be able to be sealed up nice is next to impossible <clears throat> making those kind of bee um, boxes is is very difficult um, and so if i buy them from the store yeah I want those because they're fairly easy to assemble and they last a long time um, and last under the stresses that we're going to be placing on them. However, when I make my own woodenware, I make it with a rabbit joint, which is taking a little bit off of both sides of the board and sticking them together so that it, it uh, 
has some um, board on each side of the uh, the joint and uh, I guess just uh, Google rabbit joints for bee boxes and, and it'll show you how to do it but what I like about that is you can put in your you can glue them put in your um, staples or your na uh, pin nails and uh, those darn things um, they, they work really good. Um, however, you need to make sure that you have a jig made up for them so that you're getting them square every time because you can make some very uh, rhombus shaped bee boxes if you're not careful <laughs> and then you have to disassemble them and try it again. So, um, or, or kind of try and squish them into shape type of thing and re-glue it and oh it's a it's a mess so make sure you have a jig there that makes sure that it's square on the bottom and you put your your um your sides in and then the corner each the other sides in so you make your oblong um, rectangle of a box and uh, you put glue in there push them in there and you can get um, either a, a ratchet strap and strap it together or you can get actual um, corner clamps and stick them on the tops and corner clamp them to make sure that you get a good 90 degree angle and it sticks together and then you go in with your screws or your nails whatever you do on the sides and do them I have done both pin nails staples and I've also done um, Robinson screws um, and have had success with all of those kind. Um, you also need to think about hand grips, hand holes, cupped slits, cleats, something on the side to help you move the boxes. Now, a lot of people don't like them because they uh, catch on the outside of other boxes. Um, they make storage next to impossible. That's why a lot of people do recessed handles that uh, take away material from the box. But what's argued with that as well is that you are causing um, a lot of the R value to go out of the side of the boxes. So that brings into consideration whether or not you want to uh, have always insulated boxes. So putting some form of insulation on the outside of the boxes and then possibly another piece of wood on the outside of boxes um, yeah it's it's <laughs> when you start thinking ahead and not wanting to have to um, cover up your beehives every single winter and, and go through great expense of uh, tar paper and insulation and all this other stuff yeah it's it's something something to pre-think out and and something to try and have some experimental hives and figure out what you want to do before you get too much equipment and uh, unfortunately you know I, I have uh, experimented like crazy so I have all sorts of odds and ends of this experiment and that experimental hive hanging around and sometimes it gets used and when you go to cover up your hives you have different <laughs> different level of hives which makes things absolutely freaking impossible but <laughs> Oh my goodness. But uh, you, you need to, you know, do some experimentation with your hives to figure out what you would like to do as far as insulation, as far as uh, hand handle grips. Um, if you're doing 
uh, Warre hives. They have projected out um, hand grips um, on the outside and the reason why they do is there's an actual box lifter that you can get. It kind of looks like a trolley that, that kind of scoots on either side of the hive and then you have a crank that cranks up and you, you slide the forks in underneath the handle and you crank it up and it, it holds itself up and you crank the boxes up one box and slide a box in the bottom and that's how things work with Warre hives. Um, you can do something similar with uh, um, um, Langstroth hives um, and I know that there are a lot of people who, who have um, lifts on their trucks, um, essentially forklifts on a big arm and they take the forklift over and, and bring it down, slide it under the arm of the uh, boxes and lift it up and put it on the back of their trucks. Other beekeepers deal with pallets and uh, they, they take those same arms over and, and slide it underneath the beehives, ratchet strap them down, slide the forks underneath the beehives in the, in the pallet and lift up everything and put it on the truck. So I mean there's different ways that you can do that. You can eliminate hand grips if you don't need them. Um, but I'm telling you what, it's real difficult to be dealing with boxes that are slick in the rain or in the snow or whenever, um, you know, when you're trying to pick them up, it's difficult. And you're asking me, why would you be dealing with uh, boxes in the rain or snow? Well, bears that invade your bee or your apiary and raccoons that push push over your hives and pull the honey frames out and and uh, deer that come along and knock over your your uh, beehives you want to try and lift those boxes up as fast as possible and usually you're doing it with minimal protective equipment because you just found it and oh my gosh you got to take care of these bees and the bees are out to get you because they've already been knocked down so <laughs> that's why that's usually why you're dealing with it in the winter and in the rain and all the other stuff um, unfortunately beekeeping doesn't always happen in the best of circumstances at the most nicest weather either so um, think about your hand grips and, and your, your slits or whatever you're going to be using to, to help move around your hives. Um, the industry standard measurements, uh, essentially they're discussed in imperial measure, not metric, which is dumb because, you know, we live in a metric country. But to please the Americans, a standard deep is nine and a half inches, a medium is six to five or six and five eighths inches. Western is seven and five eighths inches and shallow, which we never ever use, is four and one quarters inches. Um, they also want us to explain, explain the effects of mixing equipment and different sizes and or different manufacturers. Essentially decide um, on a manufacturer, decide on a, per, on a company that you're going to get your hives from. Make sure that it's a company that's not going to go out of business, which in this particular business climate is difficult, but see if you can't find a, a business that has longevity and uh, order your box parts and your completed boxes and stuff through them. A lot of times we go through here in Alberta, we go up to Edmonton and go through uh, 
be made up in Edmonton and we get our boxes from there. We uh, get them unassembled because they're cheaper and they're easier to pack into a vehicle. You know, you buy 200, 300 boxes, pack them in the back of a, a big, huge pickup truck, strap them down and take them home. And it's time to put the boxes together. <laughs> That's what usually happens. And you can do that with your frames as well. You go and you pick up your frames, make sure they're a standard size frame. And that particular frame is going to fit your particular box. Um, it's always good to buy one box with the associated frames, put everything together, make sure everything works, and then go back and, and buy, you know, like a, a year's worth of boxes. Um, don't be doing what I did and looking for the bargains and you find a frame and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah that'll fit. And you buy 200 some frames and they're shorter than the than what you're usually used to and so you get a whole bunch of burr comb and and excess frame comb and oh it's just a pain in the bum so make sure that you uh don't just buy them on uh, uh sale make sure that you're buying the correct ones and that you go with the same manufacturer every time it's it's really good also if you're going to be uh, thinking that you're going to retain some of the value of your boxes and frames so just in case you have to sell them you want everything all your equipment to be the same but i'm here to tell you um, with the alberta government what they've done with uh, the restrictions and everything um, buying and selling used equipment is almost a pain in the bum they make it so that you have to call somebody from Edmonton to come down to your apiary before you uh, use the equipment and they go through and inspect it for diseases and that kind of stuff. And if you're any kind of a beekeeper, you can do your own damned inspection, but no, we have to call those guys down. They do the inspections and what they're trying to do is in order to get them to come down, they ask you who sold you the equipment. So they, they want to find out who is getting out of beekeeping or who is getting rid of their equipment. And they track the people not only that sold the equipment, but the people that buy the equipment. And they track the people that um, <laughs> um, separate out the honey and the people who buy the honey. And there's a whole lot of governmental bureaucracy in, involved. And essentially when people um, buy equipment you have a lot of stuff that you have to do to make it so that you're not uh, transferring diseases and so you're doing you're having to do uh, bleach baths and flame treatment by flame treatment i mean you ha literally have to get out a tiger torch and and char things to make sure that you're not carrying diseases everywhere and uh Sometimes you're having to use, um, you do the, the torching of the inside of your boxes and, and essentially make them black. <laughs> then you have to decide if you're going to be sanding the black out or if you're going to leave the black in. You have to worry about whether or not you're going to be dunking it in paraffin wax or regular wax um, to treat it again, whether or not you're going to be repainting. Um, so, so. I guess I'd like to disabuse you of the idea that your equipment has any value at all. It does have some value, but most of the value that you will get from used equipment is at fire sale prices. And honestly, if you're selling at that time, it's because you're going out of business and you just want just a little bit of money from, from your equipment. So <laughs> it, it's, it's a big, big, huge mess. 
and the Alberta government really wants you to um, throw away your old equipment or dispose of it, they would much rather you do that than have their inspectors come out and inspect. And the inspectors, although they're mostly kind most times, they can be officious, shall I say, and uh, not necessarily nice. So um, um, just know that that's the case and, and that your hive equipment doesn't have that wonderful resale value that people are saying. Essentially, once you buy it, once you put it into production, it loses about 70% of its value. So just to, just to disabuse you of that idea that, oh, I've got a beehive, and if I sell it, you know, I can sell the, the um, bees and the hive for big bucks and, uh, you know, make out like a bandit if I'm going out of business. Nope, not the case, and good luck. Maybe you can get a few pennies back on the dollar. We're going to explain the effects of mixing equipment. Well, um, you're going to have cracks in places. It, it a lot of times doesn't set right. Sometimes you have holes at one corner that the bees decide to use rather than using the uh, standard entrances. Um, it's also entrances where uh, wasps can get in um, and all sorts of problems. So having equipment that all fits together is always good. And, uh, but like I said before, <laughs> I have tons of equipment in my bee yard that was just, it's just never fits exactly. And because I, um, well, when you create something new, you keep the inside diameter, but the exterior diameter is, or the exterior dimensions are not the same. You keep the interior dimensions the same but not the exterior. So I got a bunch of unfinished, uh, fresh cut board and I made beehives keeping the interior dimensions the same, but the exterior is much larger than regular beehives. And, and what I'm going for is not having to put as much insulation on the outside for the winter because I was kind of experimenting with that. And well, <laughs> I caused myself more issues than, than I helped. So uh, it's something to think about when you're making your own beehives and when you're buying different uh, beehives from different uh, businesses and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the next part here. Um, when you are maintaining your, your bee equipment, um, like I was talking about before, uh, you have to think about what you're doing as far as the exterior of the beehives. Um, my suggestion nowadays with what's happening with uh, theft of beehives and, and that kind of thing, you don't want your beehives standing out somebody driving down a road look over to the side and go oh those are beehives because you know they're bright colors they're pinks and yellows and pastels and greens and oranges and purples and all this wonderful colors yes that does signify to other people that this is a beehive stay away but if you are dealing with people who are dishonest they'll like okay that's a beehive and then they'll show up some evening in a bee suit uh, pick up a whole entire beehive, put it in the back of the truck and drive away, and you've just lost about $600 worth of equipment and bees. So um, nowadays it's more um, the thing to have earth tone colors so that it kind of 
camouflages a little bit and mixes in with the environment. Um, that helps keep your beehives from notice and it makes it so that people aren't going out into the middle of some field and, and picking up your bees and walking away with them. And you need to decide whether or not you're going to have rough exterior or smooth ex exterior if you're going to paint the exterior or dip it in wax. Um, what I would suggest is um, there are some people who paint the interior. It makes it so that they clean easier on the interior and it gives the interior a little bit more longevity. The bees are going to coat the interior with their uh, propolis and wax anyways. So you, if you, uh, you know, paint the interior, at least you get a little, well, probably about five more years of life if you paint the interior. Or a better idea is to dip them. And uh, so it's, let's talk about dipping. <laughs> um, you can utilize both regular wax and uh, paraffin wax. And a lot of times if you mix the two of them together, that's a good idea. However, if you're dealing with paraffin, you need to know that you're dealing with a very flammable um, type of wax. Um, it's a little bit cheaper than going and getting beeswax, but if you've been, you know, if you've got 30 hives and you're cutting off uh, um, burr combs and you're, you're uh, um, taking some of your beeswax out of the hive and you're, you know, you're uh, cutting them out of frames and, and putting frames back into circulation and, and doing it like that, you will have a barrel of wax at the end of the season that you're able to utilize to dip on the next next season. Um, and it's good to throw in regular wax and, and uh, paraffin wax if you have it. Um, usually people don't start dipping until three or four years into their beekeeping experience and about that time a lot of the, the paint has worn off or, or is looking pretty shabby and so what people do is they make a very stable platform of either like cinder bricks or something like that and they start a small fire underneath uh, um, a barrel of uh, an old honey barrel or um, sometimes they go and get uh, um, the same setup that they use to cook their turkey in but instead of putting um, um, oil in there they put wax in there and they warm it up and and then they're able to um, pour the hot wax over top of the frames into a, a larger container um, but the best thing is to be able to heat your container up um, and be able to dip your, your stuff in. Um, wax floats to the top on top of water, so you can put in um, one quarter water uh, and then whatever wax that you're putting in. And if you dip it in like a 55-gallon barrel, um, you're, you're dipping it in and you, you push it down with a stick or, or you, you get some pliers or something, you grab the side, long pliers, grab the side and push it down underneath the surface and bring it back up. It will coat your, your, uh, your uh, hive very well. And um, if you dip like once or twice, um, what it does is you dip it the first time and it's coat, or it soaks into the wood. And then you dip it the second time so that you have the wax preparation already 
or, or the exterior preparation done. When you dip your boxes in wax, um, a lot of that wax over time will wear off and so within probably two to three years you'll be back dipping again. Um, however, it does really well for curing the outside of the hive. Uh, another thing that people do in order to cure the outside of the hive is they use linseed oil. Linseed oil, if it gets on the rags and if you put your rags into a uh, uh, barrel or, or some sort of a garbage container, has been known to spontaneously combust, so just be aware of that. Um, and uh, linseed oil takes a long time, or tongue oil takes a long time to cure. So you're talking like a week for it to cure. So don't expect to do this and then put it into production within two days. <laughs> it's essentially, you make it in the spring um, before you get your bees. Uh, you let it sit for a week or two in your, uh, uh, outside your, your um, shack or whatever and let it air out. Um, and uh, linseed oil and tongue oil is only on the exterior. I've also seen people paint inside and outside the hive. It makes sense. Um, when you're painting, of course, you're going to have uh, your first coat, let it sit, soak into your wood, and then you're going to paint a second coat. Um, having uh, enamel type paint that doesn't chip is a good thing. Um, however, whenever you paint, be aware that whenever you use your hive tool to separate the boxes because the boxes are propolized together, you are going to be dealing with um, breakage and the moment you crack that uh, uh, seal of the paint you're getting water into there and swelling and that kind of stuff so just be aware of that if you're painting um, not so much if you put wax on there when you separate the boxes the the boxes will naturally um, stick together if you if you dip them in wax uh, the bees really like that they don't have to do as much work so um, yeah, just something to consider. Well, I think that's all for this evening. Um, we will be uh, chatting some more soon. Um, hopefully it's not too disjointed. We ended up having probably about six different uh, times where I had to stop today. So I appreciate you um, listening and, and for you uh, allowing me my, uh, my issues that I have with the recording and, and understanding that. Um, thanks guys. Have a great day.